Hey everyone, this is Brie. You are listening to Brief, the podcast that summarizes all the books. This episode covers Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte. It is a two-episode series. This book is very long. It's not my favorite, I'm not going to lie. I don't love it. I do love aspects of it, and we can get into that later, but it just feels a little like grooming to me, but we'll get into that. So in this episode, we will cover context and overview, major characters, I'll mention the themes, and then we will cover chapters 1 through 21. Okay, context and overview. So Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte. Charlotte Bronte was born in Yorkshire, England in 1816, and she died in 1855 at the age of 39. Charlotte was the oldest of three sisters, all of whom became novelists and or poets. Emily Bronte wrote Wuthering Heights, and Anne Bronte was a poet. Charlotte's first novel did not secure a publisher, though it was published later in life or after she died. I can't remember. She was proposed to and initially rejected this proposal, but ended up accepting, and she got pregnant and died while pregnant when she was 39, probably due to hypermesis gravidarum, which is like severe morning sickness which feels like an understatement. I've had friends with hypermesis gravidarum and it's like they get feeding tubes. It's super, super severe. So she died of that when she was 39, pregnant with her only child. So Jane Eyre was written by Charlotte Bronte. She wrote it under the pen name Currer Bell. She and her sisters all wrote under male pseudonyms in order to be taken seriously. And later they put their real names on them. So her pseudonym was Currer Bell. And Jane Eyre was first published in 1847 in England. It was revolutionary because it gave an intimate look at Jane's thought process behind her actions. So throughout the novel, Jane addresses the reader saying, dear reader, and gives her intimate thoughts. So it's sort of like a journal entry in some ways. And Charlotte Bronte has been referred to as the first historian of private consciousness. This is one of the most famous romance novels of all time and was considered way ahead of its time for including themes of gender roles, societal class, sexuality, religion, and feminism. Okay, moving on to major characters. So obviously the main character is Jane Eyre. She has green eyes and brown hair. She's not considered to be particularly beautiful, but she is nice to look at, I guess. She's not described as being beautiful, kind of like a plain, like plain Jane. I don't know if that's where that came from, but that's kind of how she's described. So she's very intelligent. She speaks English and French and some German. She was orphaned as a child after her parents died from typhus, and she goes to live with her aunt, Mrs. Reed, where she is largely ignored by her aunt and tortured by her cousin. When she is I think 10 years old, she leaves her aunt's house to attend Lowood School for Girls. She graduates that school, becomes a governess, and that's what leads her to Mr. Rochester. So without giving any real spoilers, I guess, that's Jane Eyre. So the next character is Mr. Edward Rochester. He's very tall. He has strong, dark features. He is not particularly handsome. He's in his 40s. He's very rich, and he owns... Thornfield, which is where Jane Eyre becomes a governess. And that's as much as I can tell you about him without spoilers. 
I feel like everybody kind of knows the story of Jane Eyre, but I also don't want to give everything away if somebody's listening and doesn't know because that's less fun. Anyway, the next character is Mrs. Fairfax. She is a, an older woman and she is in charge of looking after Thornfield. She is the housekeeper and she becomes friends with Jane. The next character, well, this is like a trio of characters, the Rivers. So there's Sinjin Rivers. His sisters, Mary and Diana Rivers. Now, Sinjin, his name is written St. John, like S-T period John, but it's pronounced Sinjin, and I have no idea why, but that's just how it's pronounced. So, Sinjin Rivers, Mary and Diana Rivers, they are Jane Eyre's cousins, although we don't know that when they meet. No, but they don't even know that when they meet. It's something that's revealed later on. So sorry, kind of a spoiler. Sinjin is a clergyman and Mary and Diana befriend Jane and they become very close. And the last character I'm going to mention is Mrs. Sarah Reed. So she is Jane's aunt that Jane lives with. She only keeps Jane and like takes care of her because of a promise she made to her husband who died. Her husband was Jane's biological uncle and he made her promise when he died that she would take care of Jane. She's incredibly cruel to Jane. She shows a lot of favoritism towards her own kids, John, Georgiana, and Eliza, and she keeps Jane from like knowing that she has family outside of them. John tortures her. It's just like a bad situation, so she leaves when she's, I think, 10 or 12 and goes to Lowood School, but that's Mrs. Sarah Reed and her kids. Okay, I'm just going to mention the themes briefly, and then at the end of the podcast, we'll go over them in depth. Okay, the themes that I'm going to go over are gender roles and feminism, social class, religion and belief, and love and belonging. So I'll go over those in depth at the end. Okay, now we're going to get into chapter summaries. Chapter one. So Jane isn't very sociable or childlike. The story opens when she is 10 years old. She loves reading and loves stories and is very different from her cousins, Eliza, John, and Georgiana Reed. We learn that Jane was orphaned and was sent to live with the Reed family, which was considered a gentleman's family. John Reed, her cousin, is 14. He is stout with bad skin. He's very abusive. We open the story with him coming inside the house to find Jane reading a book behind a curtain. And he takes the book and throws it at her. And Jane says, I really saw in him a tyrant, a murderer. So she retaliates, hits him. He pushes her and she hits her head really hard on the window. He cries. His mom comes downstairs, blames it all on Jane and sends her to the red room as punishment. Chapter two, Bessie and Miss Abbott are two servants in Mrs. Reed's home. And they are sent to take Jane to the red room. Now, Jane uncharacteristically resists this the whole way. Usually she's compliant, but this time she doesn't want to go. And Mrs. Reed says to her, you are less than a servant. You do nothing for your keep. So Mrs. Abbott and Bessie tell Jane that she's lucky that Mrs. Reed has allowed her to stay with them. They warn her. They're like, you should be pleasant and repent of your actions. They push Jane inside of the red room, which is one of the nicest rooms in the the estate. But the reason that Jane doesn't want to go there is because it has been abandoned for nine years because this is where Mr. Reed died 
nine years ago. So they lock Jane in the room and she says on page nine, why was I always suffering, always browbeaten, always accused, forever condemned? So Jane comes to the conclusion that at Gateshead Hall, which is Mrs. Reed's house, she is unlike the rest of them, which is why they treat her the way that they do. Jane is so depressed that she even considers trying to starve herself to death. We find out that the reason she is being brought up by Mrs. Reed is because Mr. Reed was Jane's mom's brother, so he was her biological uncle, and he made Mrs. Reed promise that she would take care of Jane after he died. So while she waits in the red room, she starts to panic and she thinks she sees a ghost. There's like a gush of wind that comes out of the fireplace. She starts screaming, which sends Bessie and Mrs. Abbott to the room. Mrs. Reed comes and reprimands her for acting this way and tells her that because of her action, she has to spend another hour in the red room. They lock her in again. Jane screams and cries and eventually passes out from either crying or screaming or fear or the head injury she sustained a couple hours earlier. We're not sure. Okay, chapter three. Jane wakes up to find herself in the nursery and there is a doctor, Mr. Lloyd, sitting next to her. He asks Jane a few questions and gives Bessie instructions on how to take care of her before leaving. And the doctor is very concerned And Bessie even has the other kids sleep in a different room because Jane might die during the night. She doesn't. She survives the night. And on page 15, she says, I felt physically weak and broken down, but my worst ailment was an unutterable wretchedness of mind, a wretchedness which kept drawing from me silent tears. So despite everybody being outside of the house and the rest of them leaving Jane in peace, her nerves are stretched thin and she can't calm down. Mr. Lloyd, the doctor, comes back. He finds Jane looking better and he asks her about how she fell ill and she tells him a partial truth. On page 19, she says, children can feel, but they cannot analyze their feelings. And if the analysis is partially affected in thought, they know not how to express the result of the process in words. So she tried to tell the truth, but she couldn't fully explain to him why she was ill. So she tells him about how miserable she is that she doesn't have anybody else to go to and she doesn't want to leave this place and be a beggar, but she doesn't want to stay here. And she's waiting for the day that she becomes a woman so she can escape this house. Mr. Lloyd suggests trying out going to school and he tells Mrs. Reed this. And after this, Jane overhears Mrs. Abbott tell Bessie that Jane's dad was a poor clergyman. He got typhus fever while at work And her mother also got it. They both died within a month of each other. Jane's family was so angry that her mother had married this poor man that they cut her off completely. And so that's how she became an orphan and came to live with Mrs. Reed. Chapter 4. So since this incident, Jane sleeps in a small closet and she eats alone and just basically tries to avoid everyone. And Jane believes that Mrs. Reed will send her to school soon because she really wants Jane out of the house. One day, John antagonizes Jane and she ends up hitting him. He runs to his mom and she tells him, don't interact with Jane anymore. And Jane overhears this, responds to it, and Mrs. Reed is infuriated. After Mrs. Reed yells at Jane, she says to her that Mr. Reed can see all of her actions and he would be disappointed in her. Mrs. Reed ignores her even more after that. Jane kind of becomes a shadow in the house And the only person who really takes care of her or pays any attention to her is Bessie. 
On January 15th, as they get ready for the day, Jane sees a new carriage enter the path. She tries to ignore the newcomer, but Bessie runs up to her room, scrubs Jane's face, bathes her, cleans her, and tells her to go downstairs immediately. She goes downstairs and she enters the room and she's greeted by Mrs. Reed and a very big man named Mr. Brocklehurst. And he is there to potentially take Jane to his school called Lowood. He questions Jane about her behavior, especially in regards to religion, and Mrs. Reed tells him that she hopes that Mr. Brocklehurst and the Lowood School will help Jane to be made useful and to be kept humble. And she requests that Jane be kept at Lowood even during vacations. After the questions and discussion, Mr. Brocklehurst agrees to accept Jane into Lowood School and gives her a pamphlet to read about what happens to disobedient children. He leaves, but as he leaves, Mrs. Reed tells him how bad Jane is, that she is disobedient, and says a lot of mean things about Jane, which really upsets Jane. And after Mr. Brocklehurst leaves, Mrs. Reed dismisses Jane from the room, but Jane stays and decides to speak her mind, and she tells Mrs. Reed exactly how horrible she is and how horrible her kids are. Tells her, you know, Mr. Reed would be disappointed in you for how you're treating me. You don't care about people at all. All you care about is yourself and your image and blah, blah, blah. And on page 34, she says, Ere I had finished this reply, my soul began to expand, to exult, with the strangest sense of freedom, of triumph I ever felt. Mrs. Reed, she kind of dismisses what Jane said, even though clearly what Jane said got to Mrs. Reed. It affected her, but she kind of dismisses it and tells Jane that she's too passionate, that she needs to correct her faults. And Jane leaves the room. She goes outside to find Bessie, and they discuss how Jane is going to leave to school soon. And Bessie, this is the first time Bessie expresses how she cares about Jane. And Jane is kind of like, well, why are you mean to me? Why do you yell at me? And Bessie's like, it's for your own good, whatever. So she finally feels like she has someone who actually cares about her. And on page 38, she says, even for me, life had its gleams of sunshine. Okay, chapter five. On January 19th, a few days later, Jane gets up extra early to get ready for her journey to school. Bessie gets up with her to help her get ready, and Jane tells her that that night Mrs. Reed came to her bed and told her, you know, when you go to school, you need to speak kind things about me to others. Mrs. Reed is is worried that Jane is going to say mean things about her because obviously she didn't treat her well. So she is like, you better say nice things about me, which is so messed up. Anyway, remember Jane Eyre is 10. So at 6 a.m., Bessie follows Jane outside and helps her get into the coach and says goodbye to her as she leaves Gateshead to go to Lowood School. So Jane arrives at Lowood School. She is greeted by a woman named Miss Miller who asks her a series of questions and then leads her through the school. They enter this grand hall where a bunch of other girls are dressed in exact uniforms. They are given dinner, but Jane is too nervous to eat. And then they go to bed and she falls asleep quickly. In the morning, they all wake up early and go to their classes. And Jane goes to the youngest class in the school. By the end of this class, she's starving because she didn't eat anything the previous day. Unfortunately, the porridge was burned that day and the girls refused to eat it. They're obviously not given a lot of food, so she can't even eat that. And they go back to their classes, and a woman named Maria Temple 
comes into the room. The students call her Miss Temple, and she is the superintendent of Lowood School. She is very kind and tries her best to take care of these girls, but she has to follow the rules that Mr. Brocklehurst puts in place, and he is a very unkind person. So she tries her best to keep them fed and warm and taken care of, despite Mr. Brocklehurst. Anyway... So after their lessons, Miss Temple announces that she ordered them a lunch of bread and cheese because their breakfast had been inedible. They get like a nice meal for once. Jane doesn't really understand that this is like a rarity and that this is something that Miss Temple shouldn't be doing. So after they eat lunch, Jane goes outside and sees a girl reading and goes up to her and asks her about the book. And they get into a conversation and she asks her a bunch of questions about Lowood School. And the girl tells her that it is a charity school. So basically a lot of orphaned girls are accepted into Lowood School because it is a charity institution. So she says that Mr. Brocklehurst is in charge of the establishment. He buys their food and their clothes. He is a clergyman and Miss Temple answers to him. The girl's name is Helen and they become friends. She tells Jane about the teachers that she likes and like gives her the rundown of the school. Then they're summoned to dinner, which also happens to be unappetizing. And after dinner, they have lessons again. And during that lesson, the girl that Jane was talking to, Helen, is punished for something. And Jane wonders how the girl isn't humiliated. But Helen like takes it in stride. She's like thinks that she deserves it. Basically, I think what she did was just like not pay attention She was kind of like daydreaming or looking out the window. Anyway, the rest of the day passes without incident. Chapter 6. On her second day at Lowood School, Jane participates more actively in lessons. Her friend that she met the day before, Helen Burns, is again the subject of negative attention. She is whipped for not being clean enough. Even though that morning the water was basically frozen in the showers, she's like, this is unfair. Anyway, Helen takes it again. She's like, I deserved it. I wasn't clean. So Jane finds her later on that evening reading the same book she was reading the day before. And they talk again. Helen tells her that she is from up north. And she says on page 55, it is far better to endure patiently a smart which nobody feels but yourself, than to commit a hasty action whose evil consequences will extend to all connected with you. So they discuss the different teachers and how some of them can be severe, but others like Miss Temple teach with kindness. Jane says on page 57, if people were always kind and obedient to those who are cruel and unjust, the wicked people would have it all their way. They would never feel afraid, and so they would never alter, but would grow worse and worse. Helen disagrees with this and tells Jane that she is still young and untaught, and she tells her to act as Christ would by loving her enemies. Jane recounts her time with Mrs. Reed, tells Helen everything that happened to her, and proclaims that she could never love her, and Helen tells Jane not to waste her time in animosity. And then, as they're talking, another girl enters and tells Helen to clean up her things before she gets in trouble. Chapter 7. So time passes and Jane tries to grow accustomed to her surroundings, but this is hard considering there isn't enough food to feed all of the children. Their clothes aren't warm enough for the winter and they just are basically cold and starving. On Sundays, they walk to church even in the cold, sit through the freezing services, and back at school, their rations of food are a little bigger on Sundays, which cheers up the girls. But Mr. Brocklehurst visits the school one day. And Jane dreads this because she worries that he is going to expose her as an evil child because that's what Mrs. Reed told him. He's there 
talking to a teacher and she overhears their conversation about how he is too strict with the clothes and the food and he claims that it is better for girls to starve a little to not grow comfortable and to learn to live as Christ lived and he goes so far as to threaten to shave all of these girls heads because some of the girls hair is done up in braids which he considers immodest and as he's saying this in the middle of his stupid rant his wife and daughters enter the room and they're completely decked out in like luxurious dresses and their hair is all done up and it's just very hypocritical. So far, Jane has avoided him and him seeing her, but then she kind of trips and drops this slate that she's holding and breaks it. And so he notices her and he makes her stand on a chair in the middle of the room And he goes on and on telling the whole school about how she's evil, she's not one of God's chosen, and that she needs to be avoided at all costs. And he encourages the girls to not befriend her. And he makes her stand on the stool, he says, for the rest of the day. And as she is made to stand on the chair for the rest of the day, her friend Helen sneaks her a piece of bread. And this obviously makes Jane very happy. Chapter 8. So Jane is allowed to get off the chair and she cries because she had been so hopeful with her new start and new possibilities and Mrs. Reed and Mr. Brocklehurst just ruined that for her. Now everybody's going to hate her and not want to be friends with her and think that she's evil. And Helen finds her, makes her eat, and she says, you know, don't worry about it. Nobody likes Mr. Brocklehurst. The students won't ice Jane out for this. They don't care what he has to say. And she comforts Jane And then Miss Temple comes in and requests Jane's presence. And Miss Temple takes Jane to her room. She wants to give her a chance to defend herself against these accusations that Mr. Brocklehurst made. And so Jane tells her about Mrs. Reed, about all of her injustices. And Miss Temple responds. She says, as far as I'm concerned, your name has been cleared. And she invites Helen and Jane to stay for tea. She offers them cake and they talk until bedtime. Another teacher named Miss Scatcherd is the one that always kind of picks on Helen, and she finds Helen's things in disarray and forces her to wear a sign on her forehead the following day. And at the end of the day, Jane takes the sign and throws it into the fire. She doesn't understand how Helen can just be fine with this. Helen is very even-tempered and thinks that all of, like, she's like, my things were in disarray, like, I deserved that. And Jane doesn't understand that, so she takes the sign from her and throws it in the fire. And on page 75, she says, the fury of which Helen was incapable had been burning in my soul all day, and tears hot and large had continually been scalding my cheek, for the spectacle of her sad resignation gave me an intolerable pain at the heart. So she doesn't understand Helen how she can just be okay with this. A week later, Miss Temple receives a letter from Mr. Lloyd, who was kind of a servant on the property at Gateshead where she lived. He supports Jane's story that she was not an evil child, that Mrs. Reed didn't treat her properly. And so her name is cleared for good. Miss Temple tells the rest of the school, like, Jane's name's been cleared. She's not an evil child. And being freed from that burden, Jane begins to flourish. Chapter 9. So time passes and it becomes spring, it becomes warmer, and because of the conditions they lived in during the winter, a good amount of the girls are really sick. And some of them are going to die because of their sickness at this school. Mr. Brocklehurst is avoiding visiting because of the sickness. 
they don't have to worry about seeing him and a lot of the more strict teachers and workers also left. So this gives the children, the girls, a lot more freedom. Jane spends most of her time with a girl named Marianne Wilson because Helen is sick with consumption. Now consumption is tuberculosis, but they called it consumption at the time and they didn't know very much about it and there was no cure. And so basically Helen is extremely sick At first, Jane doesn't understand what this means, but after a few days and a doctor's visit, she understands that Helen is dying, and she's not allowed to see Helen. So in the middle of the night, Jane gets up and goes to Miss Temple's room to find Helen. She wakes Helen up, and they talk for a little bit, and Jane is completely distraught by Helen's sort of acceptance of death. Helen knows that she's going to die, and Helen tells Jane that she is going to God and asks Jane not to grieve for her. And Jane says, where is God? What is God? And on page 84, Helen says, my maker and yours, who will never destroy what he created. Helen asks Jane to stay, so she lays in Helen's bed with her. And sometime during the night, Helen dies. And Jane wakes up when a nurse is carrying her away, and she sees that Helen is dead. Okay, chapter 10. Jane starts this chapter by saying that this isn't a regular autobiography and that she has so far written about important events. After typhus fever tears Lowood School apart, people look into the school, they're appalled by the conditions that the girls were living in, and the school improves, and Jane remains there for eight years, six years as a student and then two years as a teacher. Miss Temple in that time gets married and moves away and leaves Jane at Lowood School alone. On page 88, she says, I tired of the routine of eight years in one afternoon. I desired liberty. For liberty, I gasped. For liberty, I uttered a prayer. After this revelation that Jane has that she doesn't want to be there anymore, it's all she can think about. And she writes to the papers to advertise her services as a governess because she doesn't have any like rich family friends that she can apply with. She just advertises in the paper. A week after she puts out the advertisement, she receives one letter and only one letter. And it is a request for Jane's references for a potential job with a 10-year-old girl. And on page 91, Jane says, I longed to go where there was life and movement. And so she spends the next day securing her references. And within a month, she sends it to this woman who wrote to her, Mrs. Fairfax, and sends her references. They arrange for Jane to arrive two weeks later, and she gets hired as a governess at a place called Thornfield. Right before she's about to leave Lowood School, Bessie comes to visit her and tells her about her new life. Bessie is married, and she has two children of her own, and Jane asks about the Reed family. Bessie says that none of the Reed children turned out very well, and she says that Mrs. Reed isn't doing well emotionally either. Bessie says she's impressed that Jane is such a proper young woman and tells Jane that a Mr. Eyre came to the house looking for her and that she believes it was her father's brother. She also says that he seemed just as much a gentleman as the Reed family, and after chatting, they went their separate ways. Bessie went back home, and Jane takes a carriage to Thornfield, into the unknown. Okay, chapter 11. So Jane arrives in the town near Thornfield and hopes that someone is waiting for her but no one is waiting so she passes the time in a cafe until a man greets her and takes her to Thornfield. 
When they arrive at the estate, Mrs. Fairfax is the woman who greets Jane. She is an elderly woman, and she is dressed in all black, and Jane assumes that she is the owner of Thornfield. Jane asks about the young girl who she's supposed to be teaching and learns that she's not related to Mrs. Fairfax, and so she's kind of confused about the situation, and she tries to ask subtle questions to figure out what's happening. So Mrs. Fairfax tells her that she's very lonely in this residence, especially during the winter. So she's glad that Jane is there for companionship. And she shows Jane to her room, which is right next to her own. The next day, Jane feels a little hopeful, goes out to meet her new pupil. Her name is Adele. And on page 102, Jane Eyre says, I thought that a fairer era of life was beginning for me, one that was to have its flowers and pleasures as well as its thorns and toils. So she's excited for this new chapter. She is walking around exploring some of the estate when Mrs. Fairfax comes to find her. This is when Jane finds out that the owner of the estate is Mr. Rochester and Mrs. Fairfax is the manager of the estate and the housekeeper. The little girl that she's going to teach, her name is Adele. She is not Mr. Rochester's child. She is just his ward. He's like taking care of her, but it's not his child. Adele mostly speaks French and very little English. So when they meet and Adele discovers that Jane can understand her French, she launches into stories about where she's from, about her mother. And we find out that her mother died And she lived with another family for a while before Mr. Rochester took her in and brought her to England. And they chat for a while, getting to know each other before Jane sends her back to her nurse, whose name is Sophie. Mrs. Fairfax calls Jane into another room and they discuss more about the estate and Mr. Rochester. She says that Mr. Rochester comes and goes unexpectedly and that because of that, she keeps the estate in pristine condition and doesn't like cover anything with sheets or anything like that because she never knows when Mr. Rochester is going to come. Jane asks about Mr. Rochester's personality and Mrs. Fairfax says that he is well-traveled and peculiar, but she doesn't give any other details and she shows Jane the rest of the house, parts that are empty, and then they go and eat dinner. Chapter 12. So over time, Jane decides that her assumptions about Mrs. Fairfax had been right. She is a very pleasant older woman, and she very much enjoys her company. Adele is kind of a wild child at first, but she calms down over time. And although Jane is grateful for their kindness, she still finds herself being restless and looking for more adventure. She says on 114, it is in vain to say human beings ought to be satisfied with tranquility. They must have action and they will make it if they cannot find it. And she, in this moment, is thinking about the difference between men and women. And she says on page 115, this is kind of a long quote, so I'm sorry, but she says, women are supposed to be very calm generally. But women feel just as men feel. They need exercise for their faculties and a field for their efforts as much as their brothers. So they suffer from too rigid a restraint, too absolute a stagnation, precisely as men would suffer. And it is narrow-minded in their more privileged fellow creatures to say that they ought to confine themselves to make puddings and knitting stockings, to play on the piano and embroidering bags. It is thoughtless to condemn them or laugh at them if they seek to do more or learn more than custom has pronounced necessary for their sex. 
So she's, you know, explaining feminism, which again is like a very advanced thought for her time. For her to talk about gender roles and feminism and things like that was just way ahead of her time. Okay, so time passes and one day Adele is sick, so she decides to give her a holiday from her studies. And she offers to take a letter into town for Mrs. Fairfax because she's bored and she wants to get out. And on her way, she runs into a dog and then a horse and then a man. So the horse falls over with the man on top of him and he gets injured. So she rushes over to help the man. He refuses her offer to help at first. And Jane kind of studies him, notices that he's probably around 35. She insists on helping him, refuses to leave until she sees him back on his horse. And eventually he lets her help him limp over to the horse and he rides away. And during this exchange, she mentions that she was coming from Thornfield, but they didn't exchange names or anything like that. So she goes to the post office, sends the letter, and then walks back home. And on page 121, she says, the incident had occurred and was gone for me. It was an incident of no moment, no romance, no interest in a sense, yet it marked with change one single hour of a monotonous life. So she gets back to Thornfield And when she enters, she finds everybody is like missing and she sees the dog from her path walking to the post office. And then Leah, the housemaid, tells Jane that the dog is Mr. Rochester's and that he has come to Thornfield and on his way he was injured. So talk about a meat cute. (laughs) Just kidding. It wasn't very cute. He was kind of mean to her. Chapter 13. So the atmosphere in Thornfield is different after the arrival of Mr. Rochester. Everyone is kind of more focused. It's less relaxed than it was before. And in the evening, he requests Jane and Adele's presence for tea. But when Jane goes to visit with him, he kind of brushes her off, acts rude, makes assumptions about her, and he questions her, like, where is she from? Who are your parents? How did you get hired here? And he accuses her of causing him to fall when he fell off his horse. So he's kind of being rude to her. He makes her play piano, makes her show him her portfolio of drawings, and looks at her art, critiques every piece, and then he finally dismisses them, and they leave. And on page 134, Jane said, he is very changeful and abrupt. And Jane learns that he doesn't really have any family. His older brother died a few years ago, and that was kind of the last that he had. Chapter 14. So weeks pass and Jane has very little interaction with Mr. Rochester because he is very busy. But one day he requests Adele and Jane's presence again and they go in and he had bought a present for Adele. So he tells her to open it quietly in the corner because he doesn't care for children's ramblings is what he tells Jane. And he makes Jane sit close to him and she studies his face and He catches her staring, and then he asks if she thinks that he is handsome, and she immediately responds, no, my girl, and he asks her what she finds unfavorable, and she tries to backpedal out of the situation. It was like a knee-jerk reaction, just was like, no, I don't think you're handsome, which she doesn't really, because he's not described as a handsome person. Anyway, she tries to backpedal out of the situation. Like, no, just kidding. You are handsome. (laughs) Anyway, so he tells her that he wants to speak with her because he doesn't believe anyone else in the house can keep his interest. So he 
literally tries to treat her like some sort of doll to like entertain him and he commands her to speak she refuses he calls her dumb he apologizes a little bit asks her to speak again and she says well give me something to discuss and she says on 142 i don't think sir you have the right to command me merely because you are older than i or because you have seen more of the world than i have your claim to superiority depends on the use you have made of your time and experience kind of puts him in his place she realizes she's like well shit i'm his paid subordinate so she answers his question mostly so she doesn't get fired. Mr. Rochester goes on and on at that point about what kind of person Jane is and what kind of person he is. He tells Jane that happiness has eluded him to this point, but he plans to get it no matter what the cost. Jane refutes that by saying it will only make him unhappier, and then he questions what she knows because he thinks she's ignorant, and Jane finally tells him that she's like, I can't keep up with your ranting, but if you want to change like you said earlier, and like be happier and kinder, whatever, then you can if you try. And they talk a lot about sin and forgiveness and redemption. They banter back and forth before Jane gives up and says she's going to go put Adele to bed. But he accuses her of being afraid of him, to which she says she's definitely not. He tells her that she is so severe a person because of her time at Lowood School, but he believes that she will become more at ease with him over time. He asks her to stay and they talk a little bit about Adele. He got her some clothes and she has run off to go try them on. And he's like, I don't want to be alone when she comes back because she's going to look like a mini version of her mother and that will be painful to him. He doesn't explain what that means, but Adele comes into the room, shows off her new dress and Mr. Rochester says something that doesn't make sense to Jane, but he promises to explain it one day and wishes them good night. Chapter 15. So one day Mr. Rochester explains his relationship to Adele. So her mom was a singer and a dancer in the opera and she completely captured the attention of Mr. Rochester. He rented out a beautiful hotel room for her, gave her access to everything, all of his money, gave her gifts, everything. And one day he went to surprise her. So he went into her room and was waiting for her on her balcony, like hiding and discovered her with another man. She like comes in with another man. He's really upset. And especially when he finds out who the man is, he's like some, you know, Rochester believes him to be some low life. So his love for this woman, her name is Celine, depleted because he was wholly unimpressed by the man she took to bed. Okay, so he walks in on them after she betrayed him and he kicks Celine out. Now, six months prior to this, Celine had given birth to Adele, and she claimed that Adele was Mr. Rochester's child, but he doubts the paternity, and we never find out whether or not he is actually Adele's father. So he took Adele in because her mom abandoned her and went to Italy, and he felt bad for Adele, and after learning this story, Jane feels even more inclined to show Adele love and teach her. As Jane reflects, she notices that Mr. Rochester has warmed up to her and confides in her a lot more. She also enjoys his stories and thinks that he is, he's like growing more and more handsome to her. You know how you meet someone and they're not super attractive to you, but then you get to know them and you're like, okay, wait, the more I get to know you, the cuter you get. That's kind of what's happening with her and Mr. Rochester. So she thinks he's handsome, 
although she's forgotten his faults. And when she thinks of leaving him, it makes it difficult for her to sleep. So obviously she's crushing on him. She is developing feelings for him. And there is a 20-year age gap. I don't know if I mentioned that, which is a little bit concerning along with the fact that Jane has never felt love in her life. She's never felt any sort of like sense of belonging. And this is where it kind of gets like, I know this is supposed to be a beautiful love story, but to me, it kind of feels a little bit like grooming because she is 19 years old and Mr. Rochester is 40. And it's just like, it's just a lot anyway. So she's crushing on him. One night she's trying to sleep and she hears like nails scraping on the walls. And then she hears a laugh. And this is a laugh she's heard before in the attic. And it she thinks that it's Grace Poole, the servant that lives in the attic. So she hears her laugh near her door. So she gets out of bed and goes out of her room and sees that there is smoke coming from Mr. Rochester's room. And she runs in. His room's on fire. She finds him in a deep sleep. She can't wake him up. So she grabs basins of water and douses the fire. And he finally wakes up and realizes what happened. She says, you know, I heard a laugh. I came out. I saw the flames. I threw water on it. He looks around, sees that his room is blackened. And he tells Jane to stay in his room and be quiet until he returns. He's gone for a really long time. And Jane guesses that it was Grace Poole by the laugh that she thinks is hers. And Mr. Rochester comes back in, asks what she thinks happened, and she says this, and he confirms, yes, it was Grace Poole. Please don't tell anybody. On page 160, he says, you have saved my life. I have a pleasure in owing you so immense a debt. She says, you know, you owe me nothing and tries to leave to go back to bed. He won't let go of her hand. You know, she feels some type of way about him, and she finally frees herself and goes to her room and tries to sleep but the rest of the night she just lays awake because she has so many mixed emotions about her feelings for Mr. Rochester and also what just happened. Chapter 16. So the next day Jane is anxious to run into Mr. Rochester again. She knows how she's feeling at this point and she just doesn't want to deal with it. So she walks by his room and she sees Grace Poole there like sitting and knitting and acting as though nothing happened, which is super confusing to Jane. And Jane goes to speak to her and like subtly questions her, hoping to find out, you know, any information. But it turns into Grace cross-examining her. Jane is also confused by the lack of action being taken about the fact that Mr. Rochester's room was set on fire. And, you know, why didn't he have her arrested So she examines Grace again and starts comparing herself to Grace. And then Jane awaits anxiously all day to confront Mr. Rochester and question him, but she finds out that he left in the morning to go see a friend. Now Leah, one of the maids, tells her that Mr. Rochester is visiting a family and tells her all about the family, that it's a widowed mother with two beautiful daughters And, you know, kind of alludes to the fact that Mr. Rochester might be interested in marrying one of them. On page 170, Jane sort of chastises herself for thinking that there could ever be something between her and Mr. Rochester. She calls herself a great fool, a fantastic idiot, is like, how did I believe these sweet lies and swallow this poison as if it were nectar, blah, blah, blah. So she's very angry with herself for believing 
that something could happen between her and Mr. Rochester after the event of the fire. That was kind of her fantasy, and she swears to herself to never let herself be that foolish again. Chapter 17. So days pass without Mr. Rochester returning, and Jane is disappointed. She reminds herself that she is his employee and of a lower class, and that she needs to forget any fancies she has towards him. A few days later, they get a letter in the mail saying that Mr. Rochester is returning to the estate with some company. Now, before the company arrives, Jane sees Grace Poole again, wonders about this strange woman and her employment, and just is trying to figure out what the hell is happening. Jane fetches dinner for Adele and tries her best to hide from the company as they arrive. So this like party of people come and they have a party. They party late into the night, which keeps the other people in the house from sleeping. And the next day they leave on horseback to go get a view of the property Mrs. Fairfax finds Jane and tells her that Mr. Rochester has requested her and Adele's presence after dinner that night in the drawing room. Jane is like, absolutely not. I'm not seeing him, especially with other people. But Mrs. Fairfax is like, Mr. Rochester threatened that he would come and get you himself if need be. So you have to be there. And Mrs. Fairfax offers her a little bit of advice on how to avoid the people and like the company so she doesn't have to speak to them. And Jane is like, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to let Mr. Rochester see me and then I'm going to sneak away. So later that night, Jane and Adele wait in the room for the company to arrive. There are eight of them in total. And Jane is struck most by Lady Ingram and her daughters Blanche and Mary. Blanche and Mary are tall. Mary is thin. Blanche it has more of a full figure, but Blanche, her face looks like her mother's. She says it's full of pride with dark eyes and she has dark hair in ringlets. Mary appears to be milder in character and paler than Blanche, but Blanche is very beautiful. And when Jane is observing the women, Adele greets them and joins in conversation with them talking to the ladies, and the men enter the room later, and Jane notices Mr. Rochester right away. And she has a flashback to the night of the fire and him, you know, grabbing her hand, and she can't stop looking at him. On page 185, she says, I had not intended to love him. The reader knows I wrought hard to eradicate from my soul the germs of love there detected, and now at the first renewed view of him, they spontaneously revived green and strong. He made me love him without looking at me. So she's very mad at herself. She doesn't understand how she can't, you know, stop loving him. And she rescinds her earlier promise to herself to just think of him as her employer. She is convinced now. She's like, we are one and the same. I love him. This is the reality of the situation. I can't escape that. So while she sits there, Blanche talks to Mr. Rochester and asks him questions about Adele and Jane. And then she starts being really mean about Jane. Blanche tells Mr. Rochester that governesses aren't worth it, that they are a bad idea, they're bad influences on the children, and Jane is like, tight. (laughs) This is super fun for me to sit here and listen to. So they change the topic of conversation. Blanche convinces Mr. Rochester to sing. He has a very beautiful singing voice. And after he finishes singing, Jane sneaks out of the room. She bends over to tie her sandal when she's out of the room. And when she stands, she comes face to face with Mr. Rochester. He asks why she's leaving, asks her to stay. 
She's like, I'm tired. I want to leave. And he requests her presence every night that he has company. He's like, I want you in the drawing room every night. And he finally releases her. Chapter 18. The house changes from a gloomy house that is kind of like still and doesn't have a lot going on to one with life and movement because of all the people and the guests that are here. And one night they play charades during the evening. Jane opts out. She just wants to watch. On 197, she says, I have told you, reader, that I had learned to love Mr. Rochester. She's like, I can't not love him now. Like, basically, I'm screwed. I love him. She isn't jealous of Miss Ingram Blanche, who is very flirty with Mr. Rochester and is very beautiful, because she thinks of Blanche as unoriginal and not genuine. She does not like Blanche, and she feels as though Mr. Rochester will marry her for something other than being charmed by her. She loves Mr. Rochester, but she's accepted the fact that he's going to marry for, you know, money, status, whatever, and she doesn't believe him to be charmed by Blanche because she thinks that she is unoriginal. She isn't even mad with Mr. Rochester because she understands how both of them have been conditioned to follow certain principles when it comes to who they're supposed to marry. And one day, Mr. Rochester is summoned away on business for the day. That night, they're all in the drawing room. Jane and Adele are there, and Adele notices someone approaching, and it's not Mr. Rochester at the door. It's an old acquaintance who insists on staying until Mr. Rochester returns. His name is Mr. Mason. He's from the West Indies, and he's like, I need to speak to Mr. Rochester. So he goes into the drawing room, talks to all the company, and while they're learning about him, a commotion interrupts them. So a person has come to tell them their fortunes. It's an older woman, and she like begs to go inside and finally they let her go into a room and she's like I want to see the young single women no gentlemen I want to see the young single women and give them their fortunes so Blanche Ingram goes first she returns wholly unimpressed or at least she's faking it pretty well the other girls go and they're hysterical because this woman has told them things about themselves from their childhoods that she had no way of knowing that everyone's like okay well she saw everyone send her away and the lady refuses to leave until she sees all the young single women including jane so jane heads over sort of excited to hear what this fortune teller has to say Chapter 19. So Jane visits with the psychic. She studies Jane and her movements, and she tries to read Jane's palm, but claims that it's too smooth and says she's going to read her face instead. And as they converse, she tells Jane that she is acquaintances with Grace Poole, which freaks Jane out. She tells Jane that Mr. Rochester is to be married to Blanche Ingram soon and starts talking about Mr. Rochester, and Jane interrupts, you know, saying, I want to hear my fortune, not Mr. Rochester's. And before she leaves, she starts sort of noticing something off about the woman and her appearance. And then, you know, some layers are shed on the face and the disguise. And the psychic transforms into Mr. Rochester. He was in disguise the whole time. And this is this is such a weird thing to do. It confuses me so much. He goes away for the day, comes back dressed as an old woman in order to get Jane alone and like mess with her mind. You know, he's going to marry Blanche. This is how I feel. Like he's just, it's so strange. So he takes off the disguise, asks Jane to stay and tell him about the guests and what they're talking about. She tells him that a man came to the door that day, Mr. Mason, 
and Mr. Rochester, you know, pales and almost falls over and needs Jane's support to stay standing. She's like, yeah, Mr. Mason is in the drawing room with everyone. And he, you know, kind of freaks out and asks Jane to go spy on them and see what they're talking about. So she comes back and tells Mr. Rochester, you know, what she saw. And Mr. Rochester asks Jane if she would stay by his side if everybody turned against him. And she responds that she would. And he's like, will you go get Mr. Mason and bring him to me and then go to bed? And that's exactly what she does. I just need to reiterate how strange it is that he dressed up like a fortune teller in order to get Jane alone and mess with her mind and find out how, basically find out how she feels about him. It's so bizarre. And again, it feels it feels like grooming to me. It's so strange. Okay, anyway, chapter 20. So Jane wakes up in the middle of the night to a shrill cry from somewhere in Thornfield. She hears a struggle on the floor above her and a person begging for help before that person is silenced. She goes out of her room to find everyone else in the house, all of the guests and everyone out in the hallway, frightened, unsure about what's going on. And Mr. Rochester appears, tells them that a servant was having a nightmare, nothing's wrong, and tells everyone to go back to bed. Jane goes back to her room and gets dressed and waits because she's like, that's obviously not true. I need to be prepared in case something else happens. And an hour passes and Mr. Rochester comes to her door and is like, will you come with me? Grab a sponge and some salts. Are you queasy at the sight of blood? I need your help. So they go to the third floor and Jane sees Mr. Mason, who is pale and covered in blood. And Mr. Rochester wipes him down and asks Jane to clean the rest of him and clean his wound. And he's like, I have to go fetch a doctor. You two are not allowed to talk to each other. Like he's very specific about like, do not speak a word to each other. So Jane is like, what is going on in this house? This is so bizarre. So the night passes and nobody comes back. Mr. Mason's condition worsens. He's losing a lot of blood. And in the morning, Mr. Rochester comes back with a doctor and he helps Mr. Mason. The doctor is like, hey, (laughs) somebody bit this man in the shoulder. Like, is everybody aware of that weird thing that just happened? And Mr. Rochester is like, Mr. Mason, Mr. Mason shouldn't have yielded after he got the knife from her, which none of Jane doesn't understand any of this. But then Mr. Rochester reprimands Mr. Mason for going alone to do the quote interview. Okay, the doctor addresses Mr. Mason's wounds, and Jane goes back and forth between rooms, fetching clothes, getting things that Mr. Mason needs, a vial of liquid that Mr. Mason is forced to drink. And they help Mr. Mason to the outside where somebody has come to pick him up. And Mr. Rochester tells that person to keep Mr. Mason until he's feeling better. And he promises to come and visit and check up on him. And they take him away. It's like the quickest, easiest way to get this man out of my house. I can't have this in my house. So Jane and Mr. Rochester stay outside and walk around the grounds. He offers her a flower. And she is like, what the hell is going on? asks about Grace Poole again. He brushes it off. They sit down and Mr. Rochester makes sure she's comfortable before he starts his story. So the gist of the story is that a person who he's talking about himself 
committed an error, avoided society until they were welcomed back into it. So basically he's saying that a young man himself committed an error in another country and he's been trying ever since to gain relief from this thing that he has done. And he's trying to redeem himself and he's trying especially to get a wife and live a better life. So Jane's like, that's something that you're going to have to ask God. Mr. Rochester is like, do you think if I marry Blanche, everything will be okay? And she's like, I don't know. And he changes the subject and asks Jane (laughs) if she will keep him company the night before he marries Blanche. Like, really? (laughs) What? (laughs) What is happening? And Before she can even answer, he leaves and goes to greet everyone and tells them, you know, Mr. Mason left early in the morning. Problem solved. If you're confused, so am I. Chapter 21. Jane dreams seven nights in a row of a baby, and she has heard that dreaming about babies and small children is a bad omen, that something bad is going to happen, and One day, a man comes to visit Jane and claims that he works for Mrs. Reed. He tells her that John Reed, the son that was always a bully to her, has died by committing suicide, and Mrs. Reed has suffered a stroke, and he has come to tell Jane that Mrs. Reed wishes to see her. She is apparently adamant that Jane come to see her before she dies. So Jane agrees to leave as early as the next day, and she goes to tell Mr. Rochester to request leave for a week or two. And when he inquires about it, he is surprised to learn about her connection to the Reed family because she has never mentioned it before. And he asks her not to go away for more than a week. And she's like, I can't promise that but I'll do my best, and he gives her money for the trip. Before she leaves, she asks him if he is to be married soon, and he responds, yes. And then she is like, okay, then it's only logical that when you get married, Adele will be sent off to school, and I will be out of a job, and so I'm going to put an advertisement in the newspaper for my services so I can find a new job. Mr. Rochester tells her not to do that. He's like, trust me, I'll find you a place of employment. And Jane agrees to this only after requesting that both she and Adele be out of the house before Blanche Ingram moves into it because Blanche doesn't like Jane and she also doesn't like Adele and she doesn't want either of them to have to deal with her. So Jane leaves for Gateshead to see Mrs. Reed and she doesn't say goodbye to Mr. Rochester before she leaves. Jane finds that she no longer feels resentment towards the reeds. She says on 244, the gaping wound of my wrongs too was now quite healed and the flame of resentment extinguished. She finishes tea with Bessie and she goes to meet Eliza and Georgiana, her cousins, who are completely different from the last time she saw them when she was a child. Jane no longer feels inferior to them and she asks them about Mrs. Reed and they refuse to let her see Mrs. Reed. And she's like, that's why I'm here. What do you mean? And so she asks Bessie, she's like, can I see Mrs. Reed? Will you go ask her if she wants to see me? And Bessie returns and says, yes, she does. So 
She goes in to see Mrs. Reed. On 247, she says, I had left this woman in bitterness and hate, and I came back to her now with no other emotion than a sort of ruth for her great sufferings and a strong yearning to forget and forgive all injuries, to be reconciled and clap hands in amity. Unfortunately, when Jane greets Mrs. Reed, she notices that her aunt is set on seeing only the bad in Jane to this day. She tells Jane that she was the worst child she had ever known, and she wished that Jane had died at Lowood when a bunch of students got sick, which, (laughs) what? (laughs) Wishing death on children? That seems super cool. She tells Jane that she only took her in because her husband loved his sister dearly. She tells Jane that she is now poor because of her son and what he did. He like squandered all of their money and then committed suicide. After their first meeting obviously doesn't go well, 10 days pass until Jane speaks to Mrs. Reed again. She passes the time with drawing. She draws a portrait of Mr. Rochester. She speaks with Georgiana and Eliza. Uh, They slowly take interest in Jane and Georgiana tells her about her drama. Eliza tells her that she has secured her portion of the family's money and she plans on retiring in a peaceful place. She is going to go into the convent and become a nun. And Georgiana thinks that Eliza is selfish and heartless. So one day, Jane goes to Mrs. Reed's room without an invitation. And Mrs. Reed wakes up and she's like, Jane, I regret breaking my promise to my husband and not taking care of you the way that I should. And she tells Jane that there's a letter she needs to read and tells Jane where to find it. Jane opens it and sees that the letter asks that Jane go to Madeira where John Eyre, her uncle, has money and inheritance and wants to adopt Jane since he never married or had any children. And the letter is three years old. And Mrs. Reed confesses that she couldn't stand Jane. She kept it a secret because she didn't want Jane to live a comfortable life. And she even went as far as answering the letter to John, telling him that Jane had died at Lowood School. Jane tells Mrs. Reed that she forgives her completely. Obviously, this makes her mad, but she's like, Mrs. Reed is dying. I'm just going to tell her, you know, I forgive her. Doesn't matter what she did to me. She says on 257, poor suffering woman, it was too late for her to make now the effort to change her habitual frame of mind. Living, she had ever hated me dying she must hate me still and later that night mrs reed dies the next day eliza and jane visit her body and eliza remarks that her life was marked by trouble okay guys that is the end of episode one in episode two we will cover chapters 22 through the end of the book and do a deep dive into the themes of the novel make sure you follow me on Instagram and TikTok. It's at Brief Podcast so that you know when I post new books on my podcast. You can also submit your requests from your syllabus on my website, briefpodcast.com. There's an area for that. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave me a review.